This is a 980 CKNW podcast. You are live with the App Show. Mike Agarbo here with John Beeler. We have a cool show. Uh, of course, we've got our regular segments, uh, Game App of the Week, Hot 5, uh, Countdown, plus facial recognition. We're seeing that more and more. You know, there's a lot of jurisdictions down in the U.S., and China especially, that are, are using that. But it's happening in schools now down uh, in the USA. Not so much in Canada, but with all the school shootings down there, I could kind of see that yeah. being something that they would be interested in. But is there privacy issues? Of course, with kids, there especially are. with kids, yeah. We'll explore that uh, as well. But let's talk about some of the, uh, the app news. Uh, let's talk about concert tickets. This is uh, an ongoing struggle for me to get tickets when you know a band comes into town that i want because they're gone within seconds so there's like huge amounts of scalpers but there might be some solutions yes so the primavera sound festival uh they've switched to mobile only tickets so this basically requires you downloading their app creating an account yeah and you buy your tickets within their app okay so there is no paper tickets they scan your phone at the at the venue and the idea behind this is to combat all the bots because that's who's buying all the tickets when yes. they disappear right yeah. away, right? It's automated purchases on these systems and also the scalping that happens too. So the idea behind going to a mobile-only solution is that say Mike bought tickets to an event, uh, their, their music festival, you can actually transfer me your tickets if I wanted to buy them from you or you wanted to gift them to me, but I would just have to have the app installed yeah. and an account, and you would just transfer from your account to my account. So this is more about the bots, though, isn't it? Because scalpers could still use this app. In theory, but yeah. yeah. But the thing is, that there's less chance of counterfeit tickets, which is also a big problem. That is a problem, yeah. Right? Because yeah. you can easily print a ticket with a QR code or take a screenshot, that kind of thing. When you get up to the, to the front of the the line you get scanned and it's like oh your ticket's already been scanned oh my god well you're screwed can you imagine right especially if you traveled from out of town that would be a nightmare right so the idea behind this app is that the app itself is the you know, the voice of authority for these particular tickets yeah and then um it makes it a little bit more clunky for transferring tickets around but i mean this is only going to work if everyone is using it Right, and this is one particular music festival that's using this. Yeah. So, but I, I can also see other companies like Ticketmaster and those type of companies, StubHub, those kind of places. I can. But so here's the thing, John. I feel that Ticketmaster and and these other guys are in on the whole scalper thing because they're making money on the resale of all these tickets as well. Like this has been the best thing that's ever happened to them. Like back in the early days, remember when we were younger. Ticketmaster and those types of places, they'd make the service charge fee. Right. And that was kind of it, right? Yep. So they're just doing volume on that. But now with all the resale market, they're actually encouraging that. They're actually buying all the stub hubs and, and what have you, where you buy these secondhand or thirdhand tickets. Well, and, and they're making huge, I'm telling you, huge service charges on these. Well, and the idea of bots as yep. well. It's like, we'll just reserve a bunch for the robots. I know, but it's like, because there's no transparency. No. We've never know. Your Elton John tickets, for example, recently in Vancouver, who knows how many tickets were actually purchased by a human versus a bot. Yeah, you would be surprised at how few tickets are actually available to the general public. I remember back in the 90s, I had an affiliation with one of the ticket companies 
and a big act came into town and uh, we were at a location that sold these tickets and there weren't many available to the to the public like out of like 20,000 tickets more than half were already sold to companies right corporations and corporations so and honestly sorry it's it was like 75 percent so i'm sure that's still happening today if not more so but the fact that they're also in on these secondary markets you you know that they're holding back tickets from the general sale to just basically put on the secondary market so not only are they making money on the service charge they're also making money on the markup yeah it's a load of crap and i wish I wish governments would get more involved in looking into this further. And, you know, if you are with Ticketmaster or one of these other companies right now, if I'm completely wrong on this, please call me. Well, we'd love to have you on the show. But just from what I've read so far, this is the case. Well, and clearly from just looking at ticket availability, they're gone instantly. They're gone instantly. And sure, you know, I'm, I'm sure a few people can get a hold of these tickets. Right. But no, it's the bots. And I know that some governments, I know in Ontario, they're trying to, you know, they've got legislation that uh, limits that. But how do you, like, really, how do you enforce that? Right. You got, like, the bot police? Like, <laughs> no, seriously, seriously. Do you have, like, Joe at the Ontario police, like, monitoring this? I doubt it very much. Probably only responding to complaints. Right. Which is a lot of crap. Agreed. But I can't afford the tickets anyway, so. Right. Well, that's the other thing, Right. Not to mention the ticket prices, but then the service fees on top of that, and then the reselling fees that makes them really expensive. Uh, let's talk about fingerprint uh, unlocking with phones. Yes. So in the past, it was like a password, you know, you put that into the screen. Uh, as we got more advanced, fingerprint recognition with the iPhone and the Android phones and the Samsung phones, but with the latest Samsung phones, it seems that there might be a problem. Yes. The big problem is, is that if you use a screen protector, silicone case of any kind, and you try to use the in-screen fingerprint reader, yeah, which we all love because it's not like this weird thing you have to touch on the back anymore. It's like yeah. it's front and center and it's lit up when you have to unlock your phone. Um, these screen protectors and other things like that blur and fuzzy out the the actual fingerprint itself just enough that almost anyone's fingerprint can unlock that device. And this is a big problem for Samsung. We realize there's a problem with this. Only use Samsung official cases and screen protectors and a fix is coming. So that doesn't really make me feel really good about having a Samsung device that's... I don't understand that. Like, isn't this supposed to be precise? Right. And you have to, like, teach it what your fingerprint is by doing that weird thumb press thing for, like, 20 minutes, right? And trying to get that all sorted. But now someone can easily defeat it by just having a screen protector or even a silicone case over top of the screen protector. So... I still technically don't understand how that could happen. Me neither. So what phones are affected? Uh, as far as I know, it's the Samsung S10 and the Note 10 line. But you said they're coming out with a fix. They, they said they're coming out with a fix. But I think in the, in the short term, the, the big fix is don't use the fingerprint reader if you have one of these devices. Yeah. Which is less secure, but in the scheme of things, 
unless you're a celebrity or some other important person, you're probably okay to use a passcode or a swipe pattern or some other way of logging into your device versus having a blurry fingerprint to unlock it. So if you're a Samsung S10 or Note owner of the latest phones, look for the update, (laughs) essentially. Uh, Let's look at uh, location data, which is something that a lot of these apps are always collecting on us, with our permission, of course. But Harry Potter may not be. Right. So the Harry Potter Wizards Unite, which was very popular, yeah. made by the same people in Niantic that made Pokemon Go. Yeah. So it was like an augmented reality game. Right. Yeah. Right. Very popular with the Harry Potter set. Yes. Potheads, as they're called, <laughs> which is kind of ironic in Canada these days. Yes. Um, but apparently, if you had your phone uh, and you've given it permissions to track your location, which is very important to the playing the game. Of course when you're sleeping, it was logging your data. So it actually has probably a very good idea that for eight hours, Michael is sitting at home. Okay, so what's the big deal here? You've given it permission already to keep track of where you are because that's, you, yeah. you need that because it's an augmented reality game that's like working in the real world. Yeah. So you can do what you need to do in the Harry Potter thing. So what's the big deal about it tracking you while you're sleeping? You've already given given it permission. Well, I think part of it, there's a couple things. Part of it is the fact that it's actually getting a really good picture of where you're going during the course of your day. Yes. And when your phone is idle for eight to 12 hours, however long you're sleeping at home. You're sleeping for 12 hours? Sometimes. You're living the dream. Okay. (laughs) Not always, but, you know, once in a while. But for whatever amount of time your phone is on the charger, let's say. Yeah. Uh, you're not playing the game, you're at home, it's logging the fact that you're you're idle in the same spot for a long period of time. Arguably the same thing could be said about when you're at work and you're not playing Harry Potter, your phone is on a charger or sitting still for a period of time. It's getting a really good picture of where Mike goes through the course of his day. Well, yeah, because I've given that permission. Right. So the concern is, is that this particular app is tracking data that it doesn't need to be tracking for extended periods of time. Yeah. And it's painting a very clear picture of your daily routine and all this other stuff. Yes, you've given it permission for playing the game, but also when you're not playing the game, it's still tracking all that information unnecessarily. So there's a concern from a privacy perspective about that aspect where it knows where you live, it knows where you sleep, it knows where you work, all this type of stuff. Will this be used for for good or evil? We hope not. But this is something to be aware of when you're playing these types of location-specific games and how these apps have basically the keys to the kingdom on your device. We have to take a break, but uh, when we come back, we'll be talking about facial recognition coming into schools down in the United States. Is that a good or bad thing? And uh, later on, we'll be talking about streaming. The world is changing. I know a lot of us still have TV, like cable TV, but uh, I mean, I'm sure most of us are familiar with Netflix and Crave TV. How does that all work? And should we be concerned about all the data they're collecting to use to actually make the shows? And then how do they actually keep track and do the ratings on all of that uh, as well. Because in the TV world, they use things like the Nielsen ratings. We've all heard of that. As you can imagine with streaming uh, companies, they must have super, 
super accurate data because they'll know exactly who is watching, how long, but do they really report that accurately? And we'll be exploring that. You're listening to The App Show here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You are back with The App Show. Mike and John here. We still have lots to talk about. We have the Hot 5 App Countdown. What is it this week? The Hot 5 Apps to Help You Beat Insomnia. I like this. Apparently, I don't have a problem because I sleep for 12 hours a night. (laughs) Clearly, clearly. Uh, Let's talk about something that's really interesting to me. Facial recognition technology, huge, being used by police uh, in China. Yes. For better or for worse. A lot of uh, controversy uh, over that, but they're using that, uh, obviously, to catch criminals and terrorists, but also for social engineering. Uh, Mm -hmm. But now we're seeing it more and more in schools down in the U.S., which I find interesting. So they're putting cameras in and they're using the software to track students. And what they're saying is track people that aren't students, that shouldn't be there. That aren't invited. Yeah. But how do they know that? Like, how do they know that that person shouldn't be there? Because I can imagine there's a lot of random people that come through. Family members. Yeah. Parents that aren't there all the time. So, you know, like, what is the accuracy there? Okay, sure. They pick up someone that they don't recognize as a student. What happens then? Well, I think it's early detection. No, I get that. So they can have a conversation with that particular person. Okay. Why are you here? Who are you here with? Who are you here to see, for example? But how is that going to stop a school shooter? Okay, because if you're a school shooter, you're not stupid, right? Are you though? You're stupid, yes, okay? (laughs) But you're not like a complete idiot. So you've got your guns and stuff and you're going to walk into the school, past cameras. By the time they detect you, oh, that guy shouldn't be here. It's too late. Well, it, I, I think it depends on the training that's been provided to the people that are doing the vetting of yeah. these people. Okay. And who's, you know, okay, so who's doing that? Like, it, come on, you've, you've been to school, <laughs> elementary, middle, and high school, when and I universities. To, it was very different though when we went to school. I know it was different. Okay, let's pretend it's a high school. Like, so what's going to happen? Oh, the camera detects this guy. That guy shouldn't be here. Who's, who's getting that alert? Is it someone in the, the office? Hey, oh, hey, ho- Frank, check this out. This guy shouldn't be here. Well, hopefully it's somebody on the security team that is charged how, Okay, with, but how many schools have a security team? A lot in the U.S. Do they? I think so. Okay. They do have a lot of school shootings down there. Yeah, I don't think they have, like, security teams. Well, they have a security person, maybe. Okay, yeah. So, Joe... That might also be the school nurse. It could be. Do you know what I mean? Like the janitor. Or the janitor or maybe the vice principal for that day. I just, I don't know how much this helps. So, I mean, obviously the people that are selling these systems into schools are coming up with all sorts of examples. All the fear mongering. Yes. I mean, one they used was, oh, this kid was missing and they were able to use the facial recognition to find out that he was still going to school. Well, that's pretty good, I guess. They also used it to find that someone had been expelled. Yeah. They didn't allow him into the graduation ceremonies of his sister, yeah. despite him being expelled from that school for who knows what reason. Okay. But again... Wow, well, you sure stopped something there. Well, exactly, right? Like, it's not like he's a school shooter. He just got expelled for some other reason that we don't know. Um, but it's just one of those cases of the ca- where we have to, like, do you invest all this time and energy and equipment into identifying the one lone wolf versus having everyone's privacy breached and you know the the worst case scenario would be if say you're the dad that's not known to the school that shows up for a graduation ceremony and you get tackled in the hallway by the security team right because they don't recognize you i'm like 
how, who's that helping? I still feel this is all half-baked. I mean, we'll be following this uh, story going forward, but uh, right now, uh, I just don't know how effective that would be in schools. Obviously, I can see the paranoia down in the U.S., but, you know, should this be used in Canadian schools? I would say no right now. Well, and it's the other case, too, is every time that a teacher or, uh, or sorry, a, a parent or somebody else known to the family comes into the school, should they be scanned and approved? Well, they, well, they are being scanned. Well, no, but added to the list of yes. okay people. Yes. Okay, we're going to have to take a break. When we come back here on the App Show, it's the Hot 5 App Countdown. If you want to find some apps to help you with insomnia, we've got those for you. Stay tuned. You are back with the App Show. Mike and John here. Before we get to our Hot 5 App Countdown, let's learn something about our iPhones. iPhone tip of the week. Unleash the power of your iOS device. So this week, our iPhone tip of the week is swipe typing on Apple's keyboard in iOS 13. This is new. This is brand new. And they've had this on Google for a while. All Android devices have had swipe uh, keyboards for a long time where you basically just sort of run your finger over the different letters you want to do and it just magically will type whatever you've swiped over. It's pretty good, actually. It is. So, I mean, this is not taking off your finger to type the next letter. You're just dragging it to the next letter. Yeah, you're just basically pausing over each letter that you want to include in that particular word or phrase that you're typing. And uh, Apple has introduced this handy feature uh, into the native iOS keyboard. I'm still not a fan of swipe keyboards. Why? I, I, I can just... I can speed type faster with my thumbs. Yeah? Yeah. I the, the whole swiping to type thing, I think it's just, it's like worse than autocorrect for me. But I don't know if it's just me. <laughs> yeah, I, I got to try it again. I yeah. When I, I, I tried it out on a, an Android phone, I thought it was pretty cool, but I, I haven't really used it in day to day. Right. So try it on iOS 13 and see how it compares to your Android experience. Okay, it's that time. The weekly app, Hot 5. This week... The Hot 5 App Countdown is all about helping you sleep. The best apps for helping insomniacs. Uh, I'm going to start off with number five. And number five is Slumber. This is for iOS. It's 50 bucks a year. That might not help you sleep. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, Slumber offers a collection of sleep stories, meditations, and soundscapes to help you fall asleep. You can add relaxing background sound effects to any of the nighttime stories and soundscapes and keep them going as long as you like. New sleep-inducing episodes are added to the app weekly. Very cool. Number four, we've got Deep Sleep and Relax Hypnosis. So this is for iOS only, and it's free with in-app purchases. Uh, It's using advanced hypnosis techniques. techniques. This app by Mindfill helps you fall asleep and experience a restful sleep. The app pairs hypnosis with music, sound effects, and beautiful visuals to help you get to sleep. Number three on the Hot 5 app countdown this week, we're talking about Hot 5 uh, apps to help with insomnia. So we're trying to help you sleep here. Uh, number three would be Sonus, Sonus Island Relaxing Sounds. Again, iOS is free with a $3.99 in-app purchase to discover the whole island. Okay, so it's really four bucks. Yeah. <laughs> when it comes down to it. Imagine going to an island bursting with rich illustrated color where you can enjoy high-quality 3D sound. That's Sonus Island. Listening to rolling waves, the sound of whales underwater, or fall asleep on the beach under the stars with this app. It's a perfect way to relax, focus, and fall asleep. This app offers 10 richly illustrated landscapes that you can explore based on the occasion and mood. It also features guided meditations and a timer to help you relax and fall asleep. Number two on the Hot 5 app countdown this week, 
<laughs> this is spelled P Z I Z Z. How do you, how would you pronounce that? I think you I think you nailed Bzzz. it. This is for Android and iOS. It puts science to work to bring you to a simple app that really works. Based on clinical research, Pzzz mixes sleep optimized blend of music, sound effects, and voiceover to help you get a restful night's sleep or an energizing power nap. You don't need to alter any of your behaviors to use this app. Simply launch one of the unique dreamscapes and enjoy a better sleep. Number one on the Hot 5 app countdown this week, we've got Sleep Town for Android and iOS. It's just $1.99. I like when it's just like straightforward. Yes. On the pricing. I don't like subscriptions. No. From the creators of Forest, which is an app we've featured in the past, comes Sleep Town. Sleep Town gamifies your bedtime habits to help you build healthier healthier ones, promoting better sleep. And with Sleep Town, you can set bedtime and wake up time goals. As you beat these goals, the app will give you new buildings, which uh, you construct your town. This app will help you build a healthier sleep schedule, encouraging you to put down your phone and get to bed at an appropriate time. Your sleep schedule is completely customizable in Sleep Town, and you can even set reminders of upcoming bedtimes. Very cool. This is kind of cool because you know what? Smartphones are a problem for sleeping because even for myself, when I go to bed, I've got my phone right beside me. And you know, every so often, if I hear it vibrate, I check it. I have mine set to basically be mute from midnight to 7 a.m. That's pretty good. I don't have that. I still wake up at three or four in the morning and I look at my phone. I know, but I don't have that willpower to set that that setting even. You're a stronger man than I. <laughs> what, uh, that's on the iPhone. That's on the iPhone, yes. Yeah, yeah, but Google has that as well. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Okay, we're gonna have to take a break. When we come back, we'll be talking about Netflix and how they measure their audience which is quite interesting compared to traditional TV. You are listening to The App Show here on the Chorus Radio Network, back after this. You are back with The App Show. Mike and John here. We still have lots to talk about, including our game, App of the Week, and John's Pick of the Week. But before we get there, I wanted to talk about Netflix and how they measure uh, the audience numbers for their, uh, their shows. So, you know, in the past, when we talked about audience numbers, what do you think? Well, it was always Nielsen ratings. Exactly. Right. Or BBM was another one. Right. So basically this involved a survey company calling random subscribers of cable television saying, hey, did you watch Friends on Thursday night? What did you think about it? And now Netflix knows exactly whether you liked it or not, whether you've added it to your lists, how much of it you watched. Well, they know exactly, right. right? Which is like way more accurate than Nielsen or any of those ratings because right. they're basically relying on people to tell them what right. they've watched, which, you know, is not accurate. It's kind of funny because I actually got approached by them one time and you're not supposed to be able to be a Nielsen household right. if you're in media. Right. But I just thought, how far can I go with this? And so I just answered all the questions. Are you in media? No. <laughs> and I thought, this is genius. I'll have the highest rated CKNW show ever. <laughs> but at the end, at the end, I'm like, oh, I can't do this. I can't do this. So I, so, have, I have ethics. So, so Netflix is using all this data for what purpose? Well, it's a marketing purpose right now. Right. Yes. So... Their most popular show is arguably Stranger Things. Yes. Which, you know, I I like that show because it was about the 80s and... I, I loved it too, but honestly, I felt like I was being uh, 
programmed to when I was watching it. They were hitting all the checkboxes. Yeah, that's what they do. Right. They look at all the stats on who's in that particular movie or episode, which ones do the best. You know, is it a comedy? Is it a thriller? And they take all sorts of stats and blend it all together. And yeah, it, it works sometimes. Well, it, but it just felt like I was being specifically talked to. And the fact that I was aware of that fact made me enjoy the show a little bit less. I think maybe you're overthinking it. Well, no, but this is something I became very aware of during the first season where I'd be like, I love this show, but I feel like they're like, they're literally hitting all the things that I'm interested in. This is too perfect. This is like targeted advertising in a show. And I realize I'm probably not a unique uh, demographic. Yes. And there's a very large audience that's... And you're overthinking things, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> that's what the algorithm wants you to think. Okay, can, okay. I, before I get to the numbers here on Stranger Things, uh, I just want to step back to your thing. Okay, maybe you're being pandered to on that one. Yes. But at the same time, how much crap have they put out as well over the past two years? Absolutely. Yeah. Right. They're not pandering to you there. No, that's true. No. They're pandering to somebody else. <laughs> yeah, I don't know who that is. <laughs> some weird someone, guy. Some weird guy that PEI? likes crap. You know, seriously, there's been a lot of crap. But can I tell you why? Because of the nature of how things are changing right now, the Netflixes of the world, how they used to survive is they licensed all this rerun content yeah. and movies. All the popular content that people totally. wanted. And you know what? All these studios and broadcasters like the ABCs and NBCs of the world with Friends and, and what have you and Seinfeld... They loved that. There was a, now another source of revenue for them. But now they understand Free money. That, yeah, exactly. But now they're understanding, hey, uh, we're not long for this world. <laughs> so they're starting their own streaming services. Like Disney, for example, has pulled all of their content away from streaming services like Netflix because they're launching their own channel. So this is happening more and more. And, and Netflix, you know, God bless them, they're smart because they've realized we better start making our own stuff or we're dead. Yeah. And so they're spending five to six, listen to this, billion dollars a year. With a B. With a B on producing their own content. Which makes perfect sense. Yes. Because then they own it and they can distribute it however they want. They can make their own deals with their actors and everybody else. Uh, that makes perfect sense. The other thing I like about that approach is that we're not going to get screwed in Canada because it wasn't licensed to... Netflix exactly. Canada. It yeah. was not licensed to CTV or somebody else before it gets to Canada. So let's look at some of the numbers they're reporting on their shows. And this is where it kind of gets interesting. So you mentioned Stranger Things, season three, very popular. Uh, Pandering these, show. Yeah, about these kids battling monsters in some other world. Uh, Just like I did in the 80s. As we all did in the 80s. Uh, and they said it was the most watched season to date with 64 million member households. So that that's an interesting number. Is Six, that just America? Or is that worldwide? They don't say. But I'm, right. I'm assuming that's worldwide. Across all their... Which is countries. huge. No, 64 that, million? Yeah. Households? Yeah. That's not just viewers, because there's multiple viewers in a household. But that's households. Right. Because they can track that stuff. Yeah. However, uh, when uh, you know other rating companies like uh, Nielsen ratings who don't have the same accurate information they have to go to their nielsen viewers they got significantly lower uh and they said 40 million people but again 
worldwide? I just, I don't know. Right. Like th- that's always the important asterisk that's missing, right? Like is what is the scope of this? Because yeah. it makes sense that Nielsen would have North American numbers maybe. Yeah. But let's not- pretend it's North America. So, but what Nielsen doesn't take into account are things like mobile, tablet, and laptop viewing, which I think is probably a significant amount of viewers for Netflix. If you've ever taken the SkyTrain, you realize how many people literally watch Netflix while they're on the train. It's interesting. So, uh, digging down further, Netflix basically says, uh, due to all the different lengths of their shows, they count a viewer if they substantially complete at least one episode, 70% of an episode as a view. Uh, That's pretty good. Yeah. But however, for a season, okay, which is multiple episodes, let's say it's 10 or a dozen episodes, they still count that whole season as a view, like the whole season, even if they only watch one of the episodes 70%. That doesn't seem right. So that's like bad math. So why do we care? Like, why would you care? I mean, obviously they're, they're punching up the numbers. It's marketing, right? Right. They're saying, hey, we've got like the most popular shows out there. We got like 40, 50, 60 million people watching. But, but that's not completely accurate. No, it's not. But then you also hear about shows that have been renewed before the first season's even finished airing yet. Yeah. So clearly they've got some intel as to how popular the show is, especially in comparison to some of the other shows. Yeah. And what's interesting too is even Netflix is starting to cancel shows that aren't uh, as popular or, or hitting the numbers, if you will, uh, that they need to. Whereas we kind of always thought that, well, Netflix, these shows can have a small market, a small audience, yeah. and still be very popular critically or through the fan base, that type of thing. But they've actually canceled some, some fairly popular things. Yeah, in your mind, they thought they were popular. Right. But so, I mean, it's interesting because I look at shows like, so AMC, which is a cable channel, it's not yeah. streaming. What we thought would be popular, like Mad Men, did you think that was popular? Yeah. No. It, it kind of was, but their series, The Walking Dead, trounced it like, right. by tenfold. Right. So if you're like the... It doesn't like zombies, though. Yeah, it's a wide appeal, apparently. <laughs> but Mad Men, critically acclaimed. Right. And so everyone thinks, like, this is the most biggest show that AMC has. But uh, no. Uh, anyway, so this is the way it's going to be judged going forward. The streaming services are using... Uh, very specific numbers and algorithms to figure out what actors and what themes work best. And that's... I wonder future. how people are going to try to hack that. Oh, they're... <laughs> like, are they going to, like, program Siri to watch Netflix, like, just to skew the numbers? Oh, you know that's going to happen. Right. Okay, we're going to have to take a break. When we come back, we're going to get John's pick of the week which is always super interesting to me and our game app of the week as well. You're listening to the app show here on the course radio network back after this. Two and a half. You are back with the app show, Mike and John here. Uh, before we get to John's pick of the week, I get to do the game app of the week. You do. Yes. Graham's in England. So stupid Graham. Yes. Having a vacation. Okay. So this week it, it has to be call of duty mobile. This is for Android and iOS. It's free. So you can actually play the classic first-person shooter game on mobile. Call of Duty has been a cult classic for many, many years, and now it's available uh, for your Android or iPhone. It offers uh, 
a really fantastic uh, mobile experience. You can play iconic multiplayer maps and modes anytime, anywhere. Battle Royale, five versus five team death matches, sniper versus sniper battles. They're all here in this uh, newly released game from Activision. You must have played Call of Duty. I did, yes. I, I love that game. I just don't have the time anymore to play all these. I find sometimes with the first-person shooter games on a mobile phone, it's harder, right? Because you don't have the joystick. Well, usually they simplify it, right? Yeah. So they make it a little bit easier. I, like, I've played Fortnite on my mobile. And how do you find it? It's not bad. Yeah? Yeah. I, I still prefer a mouse and keyboard. Yeah. But... Okay, I've given you one minute left to give right. us your pick of the week. So this week, uh, it's a brand new app. It's okay. called Fractal Bits. Okay. And it is a drum synthesizer app mm-hmm. that uses algorithms, fractal algorithms, yep. to produce potentially billions of different sounds. Why? So this is a music creation app. Okay. So essentially on your iPhone uh, or Android device, uh, you have a, a, a big tile of pads you can touch. Yeah, drum pads. Right, and each pad makes a different sound. So what they've what Alexander Zolotov, who is the developer behind this, and also behind the very popular open source, completely free music creations tool called Sunvox, which is available for every platform known to man, including Windows CE, if you can believe it. Okay. Um, and it he's, he's, he's got such great amount of apps available for creating music and creating sounds. And this particular app is a couple of bucks. It's like, it was like $2.70 Canadian on the iOS store. And it allows you to create sounds that you can play, you can sequence, you can record, playback, and use them for other purposes if you're creating music at all. Drum Master Mike. Right. Cool. Yeah. And again, it's called? Fractal Bits. That's all the time we have left for the app show. Don't forget to uh, check out our website, getconnectedmedia.com. We've got our podcasts up there and all sorts of great video segments, how-to blogs, you name it, it's there. This is Mike and John signing off for the app show. See you again next time. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, Tune in Amazon Alexa, HD radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.